0: DIY, guys, that's where we are. We are in week four of our series called DIY. We're learning to do it yourself. We're learning about these simple things that we've heard of all our lives that (laughs) perhaps we don't do as we should or like we should. So week one was, was teach us, teach me to read the Bible, to read the scripture, all right? Week two was teach me to pray. Week three is... Teach me how to worship, all right? And then week four, that's where we are now. Never preached on this subject. In 29 years, I have never preached. Well, I have now. I did it nine, so it's a lie now. Till today, teach me how to fast. Now, I want to I clarify two things today. I have not in any way, form, or fashion made us lists and to do things as we've learned to do this. We've taken a very biblical approach. Today is going to be a little different. And if you would like to know about the technical aspects, the safety aspects, the health aspects, the length and breadth of fasting, call me as your pastor later, okay? But in order for you to have a desire to want to do a fast properly, you have to understand what fasting is now. And I found that I knew and I did not know. I am literally pouring out from a learned cup this week, and I am excited about it. But first, let's clarify a few things. (coughs) One of my favorite books, one of the first books that I got back into reading spiritual things, all right, right toward the middle of my college years, was a book by Max Lucado called On the Anvil. I have referenced it quite a few times in our seven years together. The, that book was what kind of started Lucado on his way, all right? And it was a co- collection of articles that he wrote for a local paper, and they put them all together. And they tied them together with the opening story, which went something like this. There was a metal worker, all right, who was working in his shed, all right? And what he had in his shop was three kinds of tools. There were tools on the floor. They'd been broken. They'd been used and sometimes abused. And they were awaiting the master's repair, okay? There are tools hanging on the wall, sharpened and polished and and perfectly ready for use by the master to do what they were created to do. The third type of tool in the shop was the tool that was on the anvil. And the anvil is the big thing that uh, um, Wiley Coyote used to try to drop on Roadrunner, all right, if that helps, big (coughs) acme anvil. But what they used them for was kind of like their their bench. You would swing the hammer, you would take the blade and put it on the, the grinding wheel, all right? You would stick the blade in the fire, plunge it into the water, each different act doing something different to help make the blade, make the tool what it was supposed to be. Now, here's what I need you to understand. In our modern days, we have machines, huge manufactured machines that can in one swipe press a tool out of some type of metal, but that's not the way it has always been, and it is not the way it works in our lives, all right? It is not. We want it to. In our go get them world, that's what we want to happen. We want a revival to sweep through here, and we want it to take us from where we are to the next phase of our Christianity, to the next phase of our faith. We have a breakthrough, and now I can see the difference in who I am as who I was yesterday. But it doesn't work that way. Our life is about a constant and consistent swing of the hammer. Let me explain. You don't swing once, and then the job is done. The, 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 The master has to swing and swing, and swing, and swing. And with each swing, they all work together to smooth down that side of the blade. And then there's another thing that's necessary, the grinding, and another thing that's necessary, the firing, and another thing that's necessary, the cooling. That is like your Christian walk. Over and over again, you can't just pop the Bible open and say, I read, I am changed. It doesn't work that way. You can't show up for worship, have one incredible experience, and say, I have made it to the next level. It doesn't work that way. Our lives are about a discipline of allowing the master through the reading of his word, through prayer, through worship, and through fasting to mold us and make us after his will while we are waiting, yielded, and still. It is a long process of becoming. And as we do those things with some semblance of discipline, as we do those things with some semblance, I mean, the guy doesn't come into the shop and walk away. No, it is a constant effort, if we make the constant effort to read the Bible, even if we don't want to, to go through the trials, even if we don't want to, we become on down the line, someone that as we look back to now, we can go, I am way more spiritually mature, way more spiritually adept to things, way more a student of the scripture than I was then. Christianity, our faith, it is not a one-hit wonder. It is something we have to work at. And prayer, Bible reading, and worship are all a part of that. But fasting is too. As always, we want to start with the scripture. So we're going to break down a scripture on fasting, and it's a scripture that you've heard before. But I don't know if you knew, I don't even know if I knew that this scripture was actually about fasting. Let's talk. Matthew chapter 9, (coughs) verses 14 through 16. Then John's disciples John the Baptist, forerunner of Jesus, one who preached Jesus before Jesus came, the one who baptized Jesus. This is a really good guy. The disciples of John the Baptist, that's important, and the Pharisees, good folks, religious poo heads. All right, we've got two different types of people. All right, that's a, that's a King James term, all right. Then John's disciples came and said to him, how is it that we... And the Pharisees, John's disciples, and the people who follow the Pharisees, are fasting often, but your disciples do not fast. Hey, Jesus, we're we're doing all of these spiritual disciplines, and we're all taking time to fast all the time. Why aren't your boys fasting? Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Say, what? (laughs) Jesus, why you have to go all cryptic on me? Can't you just be plain? The time will come, as he goes further, when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. So there is a time that there is a no-fasting zone, and then there is a time where there will be fasting once again. So there was a pre-fasting, a no-fasting, and a post-fasting. We need to understand what the pre-fasting was. We need to figure out why there was no fasting, and then we need to grab hold of what our post-fasting is going to look like. But first, let's see what he says about all of them together. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment and make the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, heaven forbid, and the skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine in new wine skins and both are preserved. Now, how many of y'all have heard that particular passage before? Yeah, most people have. It is misused and abused all the time. I'm going to give you a great example of how. Anybody ever been in an old, fuddy-duddy kind of run-down church? Anybody ever been in a church that looks the same as it did 75 years ago? Anybody ever been in a (laughs) church? Riley's out there going. Now listen. Listen, I could have been spiritual about six and a half years ago. And I could have looked at those folks and I was like, guys, we got a lot of new wine. We got a lot of fresh wind and fresh fire. Thank you, Jim Zimbala, that we want to rush into this place. And so what we're going to need you to do is stop asking us to bring this fresh wine into these old wine skins. We've got to change. Sounds good, doesn't it? Total abuse of that scripture. I could have used it, I could have acted biblical, but it is a total abuse of that scripture. I was using a scripture for the gain that even was correct, but I'm still wrong. Why? Because this has nothing to do with church change and everything to do with you change. And we have to ask Jesus what it was that he was telling this little parable about so that we can figure out how to apply it. He starts by answering a question about what? Fasting. So, this parable is about fasting. We're going to get somebody much smarter than me to help us answer how this flows together after a while. Let's talk about what I said pre, no, and post. All right. That's going to be our journey. So, in the Old Testament, when they talked about fasting, all right, there were several reasons that people fasted. Okay. Here are a few of them they fasted. To consecrate themselves, prepare themselves, prep their mind and their souls and their bodies for being before the Lord, for coming into his temple, for standing in what would be his presence, except his presence wasn't there. God would show up as a mighty wind or as a cloud or something, but they consecrated themselves. They grieved for their own sin, for their own loss. You know the story of the Old Testament is simply this, right? God's people came to him, and then God's people fell away. And then God's people came to him, and then God's people fell away. And then God's people came to him. him, and then God, people fell away. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. And during their times of falling away and coming back, they would grieve their lost grief, their stupidity, and they would pray, and they would fast over that grief, calling for an intervention of God, crying out through their fasting for repentance and forgiveness so that what? They could again what? Be in his presence, when we fall away from God, that is not just falling away from God. What it means is we are not with him where he is, in his presence. And so the idea was that fasting would draw us closer to God or back into his presence. This ought to help you now with Jesus's no. What is the difference between the Old Testament The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and everything from the Acts to today. What is the difference? It's the three ways we experience the Trinity. Think about that. In the Old Testament, there was God. Jesus and the Spirit were there in the beginning, but they had not come to do what they were created to do. In the Gospels, God becomes Emmanuel, God with us. He is here with us. We don't need prophets because we can look at him and go, oh, that's what he looks like. Nobody has to tell us, that's him, all right? God is in the flesh. And then he goes to prepare a place for us and the spirit is sent to us and that's how we experience God, all right? But Jesus is gone to prepare a place. So there's a longing in everyone's heart to be where they were created, to be This world is not my home, From several weeks back, we are called somewhere else, so we have this longing for Christ. This is all going to come together. This is all going to come together, all right? (laughs) Why did Jesus say, why would we fast? Why would you mourn or be sad that the bridegroom was gone when the bridegroom wasn't gone? Jesus said, right now, there's no need for fasting. Let me tell you why. I am here. It's not time for fasting. It's time for feasting. It's time to eat, drink, be merry, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Do you you not get, and we Baptists run from this, do you not get that that is what Jesus did for three years? They were always eating they were always drinking. They were always sitting at a table together. Always. Lord's Supper, always. Going for repentance on the beach. Fish on the spit. I mean, always. Feeding 5,000. They're always eating, feasting. Why? Because he's here. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those years were about eating feasting on Jesus. Church, we need to learn from that in our 60 minutes a week here. Where two or more are gathered, what? Oh, you ought to feast while he's here. Come on. No need for fasting because there was feasting. However, that yumminess, that connection, That thing that the disciples of Jesus and Jesus had caused something to happen. It's what caused disciples to lose their lives for the sake of Jesus. It's what caused them to go to every land, every sea, every plain, every house. It's what caused them to drive out demons. It's what caused them to give their lives up for this cause. They had feasted on something more. I used to give a sermon on Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And that sermon is about sitting at God's table. And I would introduce it by talking about David's mighty men. And I would list some of the most ultimate warriors that existed on the history of this planet. And they worked for King David, which is why his kingdom stood for so long. And the idea was that all of these men would wipe out all of the other people who might be an heir to the throne. Why? Because they wanted the guy they worked for to stay on the throne, because as long as he was on the throne, they got to sit where? At the king's table. Listen to me. And please, don't anybody give me any 1990, 2000, 2010, or twenty racist stuff about what I'm getting ready to say, all right? But baloney and spam fried up in a good old cast iron skillet, man. You know what we used to call that? Ghetto steak. Ghetto steak, all right? You get your good piece of spam, grandma's steak. And if you had, if you did it right and didn't buy that stuff in a package, if your baloney didn't have a first name, all right, if it was cut off a big roll about that thick and fried up in a skillet and that's what you ate and it was good, that's what you loved. It was done right. And that's all well and good until you have your first trip to the Outback Steakhouse from the land down under. And you order the Outback Special, cooked perfectly medium rare, and it comes out on a plate about this thick, and it's been allowed to rest so that when you slice through it, it falls open. The juices run out over the plate. You start to salivate from your mouth. Salivate, it's a new word. And then you put that steak in your mouth, and the juices hit every sense organ that you have everywhere. Baloney doesn't taste the same. Hold with me. Now, I need to pray We're all sinners, and we all substitute sometimes things for steak, right? We don't wait for the best God has for us, do we, in our relationships? We don't wait for the best God has for us in our sex lives. We don't wait for the best God has for us in our idolatry. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But once you've tasted the best, you know what you want? The best. So the desire was in the hearts of the disciples because now, They had tasted heaven on earth, and so nothing else would satisfy. So how is it that they reconnect to the feasting? And the answer, church, is fasting. This is a quote from John Calvin, okay? John Calvin is... Uh, a a while back, all right? But he can be trusted. He might not be perfect, but he's a pretty smart theology guy. Caused a real ruckus. (laughs) Here's what he said about fasting. And this is old school literature, so we'll walk through this. Listen, this is amazing. Let us say something about fasting because many, for want of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity, and some reject it as almost superfluous. While... On the other hand, where the use of it is not well understood, it is easily degenerate degenerate or degenerates into superstition. Holy and legitimate fasting is directed to three ends. We practice it either as a restraint on the flesh. Hey, I don't want to do something. I'm going to fast to keep myself from it to preserve it from licentiousness, or as a preparation for prayers or pious meditations, I'm going to get myself ready to approach the Lord, or as a testimony of our humiliation in the presence of God when we are desirous of confessing our sins before him. Yet all of these things are the same as the Old Testament things. We lose our way because some of us Seek fasting in a way that is something that is way out there for the religious and for the over-righteous. And others of us don't do it enough because it's kind of out there in the realm of, is it really something that exists or doesn't exist? Superstition. Let's move ahead to another incredible theologian. We've used this guy a couple times in the last few weeks. Let's see what John Piper says about fasting. Look at the word he uses. We have what? tasted the powers of the age to come. In some strange way, we have been privy to what is to be by way of Jesus himself, who was God in the flesh, and our fasting (coughs) is not because we are hungry for something we have not experienced. You don't crave that which you've never experienced had a taste of, but because the new wine of Christ's presence is so real and so satisfying, we must have all that is possible to have. The newness of our fasting is this. We have tasted the powers. Oh, it's intensity comes, not because I was going to repeat, not because we have never tasted the wine of Christ's presence, but because we have tasted it so wonderfully by his spirit and cannot now be satisfied until the consummation of joy arrives. The new fasting, the Christian fasting, listen, is a hunger for the fullness of God, Ephesians, aroused by the aroma, come on, do you hear that? Aroused by the aroma of Jesus' love and the taste of God's goodness that comes through the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you get in such a place, where you experience God through your prayer and through your worship, when you get in such a place where you understand the gravity of his grace, the fullness of his love, you cannot do without it. You become obsessed with it. You feel a yearning as if, as if it's an addiction. Take that in. Food is the drug nobody ever talks about. Man, my anxiety is just overwhelming. I think I'm going to bury myself in this bag of jalapeno tips. Man, this guy or that guy dumped me. This, this happened. I have a real story about this. The, the last time my daughter was in a relationship and the person um, and her separated, okay, two of her friends showed up at our door with a half gallon of ice cream. Am I wrong? You all know how this happens. Listen, food is the drug we've never talked about. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. We as Christians like to overlook that fact too because it's easier, because it's politically correct. Listen to me and I am not being mean. There are churches all across the country this morning that will say nothing about a 300-pound preacher behind the pulpit but if that preacher lifted a glass of wine and set it on top, they'd hang him. I am not saying one is better, one is worse, one is okay, one is not. I'm not saying either. I'm saying stop picking and choosing and stop ignoring this fact. There's a reason why fasting is the opposite of feasting. Because it is an Idol, Because we turn to something in our weakness, in our hunger, in our emptiness, that can only be satisfied by Christ, yet we continue to try to satisfy it by other means. And I want you to listen very clearly. In the Old Testament, this idolatry was also adultery. What? Craig, my eating is adulterous? You can't have adultery unless you have a bride and a groom. What did Jesus say he was? The the, bride group. And who is the bride? The church. So when the church turns to something other than the groom for satisfaction, Those who yearn to fast understand as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. The disciples who fasted post the ascension of Christ yearned for what they experienced. Physically, like Nicole and me, Britt and me, Deb and me, right now, in it, like there, they t- they knew God in the flesh, and they needed it so. God provided a way for that to happen through prayer, through worship, and through fasting. So, how do we use fasting now? We start with a yearning but what are reasons, what are things that we can do? Some things call for fasting. We need stronger moments, bigger breakthroughs. That's number one. Do you remember the story where the disciples were all out early in their ministry, healing, making people walk, making people see, doing a really good job. Then they ran into this character that that they tried to bring the demons out of and it, it just wouldn't come out. And Jesus comes up and (sniffs) comes right out. And the guys look at him like, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says this, some can only come out by what? Prayer and fasting. Listen to me. Not every, not every trial in your life is equal. Not every demon out there is the same in power and authority. It's just not true. The only truth is God is supreme over all. But there are different levels of things that we deal with. And some can only be overcome by prayer and fasting. There are moments when we need a shot in the arm, when we need a a five-hour energy version of our Holy Spirit to push us through. Then there are some moments. And if you've ever experienced this, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you need to begin. You need to find your stake. Sometimes, moments, we yearn for closeness. We yearn for our home. You have this recognition in the shower, this recognition in a worship service, this recognition walking through God's nature, this recognition while you're listening to praise music. There's a moment that happens multiple times in your life where you're just like, God, I miss God. I'm not made. I'm not made for here. I need there. I need thy kingdom come. I need what Jesus prayed for. Because it removes the idolatry in a symbolic form and allows for us to be drawn to, to turn to, to remagnetize our compass to perfect north. And we become realigned, and home finds us. And three, sometimes you've got to remove in order to receive. Remember the cup? You're pouring in, but it's full of junk. It's full of worry. It's full of anxiety. It's full of anger. It's full of hate. It's full of hopelessness. It's full of all kinds of things. Fasting. We empty our physical tanks. We ignore the things that we run to in this world, and we allow God to refill and refuel our lives. This is the power of Bible-reading prayer Worship and fasting. When you crave. When we run up on the opposition and the opposition seems more powerful. When you're ready, pick up the phone and call me. We'll talk about how fast to start, how long to go, what to fast from, what not to fast from, what it looks like for you and what it looks like for me and how all of those things can be intimately similar and infinitely different, and how to connect by fasting to feasting. Let's pray. (sighs) I mentioned the song and then Preston and all of his talent and beautiful things that God does through him, comes up and he sings, yearn. Lord, I want to yearn for you. I want to burn with passion over you. (coughs) Do you? Does your soul long for Jesus Christ as the deer pants for the water? When you wake in the morning, do you just want to be with him? From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, Do you just want to praise the Lord, or are you trying to get by? When you crave, it's time to eat, to taste and see that the Lord is good. God, take us there. That's a prayer. Take us there. God, take us there. Let us fast to feast. In Jesus' name, amen.